probably don't know who I am. Even if you've been around church for a while, there's a good chance you don't know about me. And to be honest, that's the way it should be. My name is Joseph. No, I'm not Jesus' dad or, or the guy with a fancy coat in the Old Testament. I'm a lesser-known Joseph. People call me Joseph of Arimathea. I'm pretty old now. I've spent the last years of my life traveling around with this guy named Lazarus, whom I'm sure you know. Mary Magdalene has been with us too. But we were there. Now, I know you weren't there for everything that took place. You couldn't have been. You may have heard the story, but just in case, let me fill you in on the details. You weren't there, but we were. I knew Jesus for most of his life. I knew the story about how he was born, how Zacharias couldn't speak, and how the other Joseph wanted to leave. I remembered when Jesus disappeared as a young boy and we found him in the temple. I knew how he was tempted in the desert and and how he was baptized by Zacharias' son, John the Baptizer. I remember his first sign where he turned water into wine. His mother was adamant that he do something to help. I remember the times that he fed thousands of people with one person's lunch and the parables. I will never forget the parables. The stories about the farmers and landowners, the lost sheep and the lost coin. My favorite one was the one about the prodigal. I I especially related to the older brother who had done all the right things religiously and couldn't understand why his father was being so generous to the son who had squandered everything. I suppose that stood out to me because of my position on the Sanhedrin. You probably don't know what that word means. It's, it's kind of like your Supreme Court, except it had 71 judges, and I was one of them. I was surrounded by people whose very lives were consumed with being religious and upholding the law. Most of them didn't care for Jesus. Most. Oh, and the healings. I haven't told you about the healings. Those... Those had a tendency to really stir the pot. Jesus had a way of getting under our skin. Truth is like that, you know. Like the time he healed the paralytic man that they lowered through the roof. Except the first thing that he did wasn't to heal him, it was to forgive him. The brothers brothers didn't care for that at all. Or the time that Jesus healed the man with leprosy. You see, you're not supposed to touch someone with leprosy. It's the law. But Jesus did it, and the man was made clean. To the blind he gave sight, to the deaf he gave the ability to hear. He healed a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people. I loved it when he set people free from demons. This one guy had thousands of demons, and and they begged Jesus to go into a herd of pigs, and Jesus let them. Crazy thing is, they ran down the hill into the lake and they all drowned. I thought it was hilarious, but the locals didn't. Man, it was crazy. We've never seen anything like it. I mean, things were really different when Jesus was around. We'd been waiting for the Messiah for a long time, centuries. And it sure looked like Jesus was the one. At that time, we were under the control of the Romans, and they had no respect for Yahweh. They kept a pretty firm thumb on our city, if you know what I mean. 
and it was pretty clear that, that they didn't like the Passover. They tolerated it, probably to keep us from rioting and revolting. You can see why they'd have a problem with it. I mean, it's a festival about how God is going to deliver his people from captivity. Since they were the captors and, and hundreds of thousands of people came to Jerusalem to celebrate that deliverance, well, it wouldn't take much for things to get out of hand. So here we are. It's time for the festival of unleavened bread, which begins with a Passover. Part of the preparation is getting the yeast out of our homes because the yeast represents sin and pride. People are entering the city like crazy. I mean, there is a literal buzz in town. There are Roman guards everywhere. And they, uh, well, they had a rather forceful way of keeping the peace. Oh, I, I almost forgot. Jesus did this amazing thing a couple of days before this. I mean, it was literally insane. Lazarus, you know that guy that I've been traveling around with? Well, well, he brought Lazarus back from the dead. I mean, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Four days. And, and Jesus had them open the tomb, which was insane. I mean, can you imagine the stink that would come out of that tomb? But Jesus had them open the tomb and called for Lazarus to come out. And you know what happened? He did. Lazarus came out. People were talking about it everywhere and i mean everywhere well, like i said we've been we've been waiting on messiah for a long time and right before the feast jesus entered town riding on a young donkey and the town the town just went crazy i mean they think that jesus is coming into town to deliver us from roman captivity they were even shouting the victory chants and laying down palm branches the Messiah had entered Jerusalem. But there was a problem. That evening, Jesus went to the temple and, and no doubt saw what was happening. And it really was dreadful. I mean, really dreadful. See, the Passover was a big deal, and, and, and the brothers had taken advantage of every opportunity to profit off of the event. There were the exorbitant exchange rates that they charged people who needed to get the temple currency to buy their lambs, not to mention the price that they charged for the lambs. I mean, it was, it was extortion, plain as day. The next day, with everyone still buzzing over the Messiah coming to town, Jesus goes back to the temple and, well, there's a problem. He took on the money changers and, and drove all the animals out of the temple. You have no idea how big of a problem this was. I mean, Messiah was supposed to come in and overthrow the Roman government so we would be free to worship God how God wanted us to worship, but, but Jesus was overthrowing us. I've been around for, for quite a while now, and I know how people think in this town. There was a river of greed flowing through that temple, and many of the brothers had been able to live a pretty nice life as a result. But not only did they have money, they had power over the people, and they used it to their advantage. The brothers, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, well, they were as much oppressors of the people as Rome had ever been. It turned out that Jesus wasn't here to overthrow Rome. He was here to overthrow his own people. To top it all off, Jesus had been teaching about destroying the temple. 
It took us a long time to build this temple, and and as much as I love Jesus, even I have to admit that when he claimed that he could rebuild this temple in three days, (laughs) even I laughed at that. But with everything else we'd seen and heard, well, I guess it wasn't completely implausible. Not very many of the brothers knew this, but I actually considered myself one of Jesus' disciples. Nicodemus knew. But of those in the Sanhedrin, we were the only ones, at least the only ones that we knew of. None of the brothers liked Jesus. And this thing that Jesus was doing, well, it just wasn't going to help. Add to that, the next day, Jesus calls us whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. He called us snakes and hypocrites. As you can guess, we didn't take that very well at all. The brothers wanted Jesus dead. He disrupted too much. I mean, he'd been a thorn in their side for too long, and it was time for things to get back to normal. They didn't care if he was the Messiah because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. The problem was, they couldn't execute anyone. They would have to get Rome involved somehow. I'm not entirely sure how it all happened. I'm guessing... I'm guessing that they found out that I was on Jesus' side, so, so they left me out of some of the discussions. But I knew that Judas had agreed to betray Jesus, but I still don't know how they got the whole city to turn on Jesus overnight. All I can figure is that they got all the brothers to start spreading the message that Jesus was a traitor and a blasphemer during the night while Jesus was on trial and he couldn't speak for himself. Next thing I know... I'm getting woken up in the middle of the night for a hearing that's taking place that I wasn't even invited to. Nicodemus heard about it and sent for me. When I get there, when I get to this meeting, Jesus is on trial. I couldn't believe it. Funny how they're okay to break the Torah to try to convict Jesus. I, mean, I knew they didn't like him, but, but I couldn't believe he was on trial. I'll never forget how they were auditioning different testimonies to see which lie would work the best. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath and and wanting to tear down the temple of sorcery and claiming to be God. And they condemned him. Without just cause, they just decided that he deserved to die. The crazy thing was, the reasons they used in our own court to convict him weren't the reasons they gave Pilate. They told Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be king of the Jews and that they had no king but Caesar. And and they claimed that Jesus said not to pay taxes to Caesar, which was not true. Jesus didn't, didn't say that. He never did. Like I said earlier, the feast was about being delivered. Rome would release one prisoner during the festival, kind of as this, you know, token gesture, kind of a kind of a nod, you know, if you will, to the to the theme of the festival. But this time, Pilate did something different. He brought out Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Christ and asked the crowd who they wanted released. Somehow, in a few short hours, the whole city had turned on Jesus. They wanted Jesus Barabbas to be released, the one who was a murderer and a rebel thug. I'll never forget the, the chance of the crowd that night. Crucify him, crucify him. And that's exactly what they did. It was horrific. It was brutal. The pain and humiliation were excruciating. But even on the cross, Jesus was still Jesus. He was forgiving. He was caring. He was kind. 
It was as though he was still at work in some way, hanging on that tree. But then he died. He just stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. They didn't even have to break his legs. They shoved a spear into his side and and I could see water and blood come out myself. He was dead. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah, the, the Son of God. But there he was, hanging lifeless on a cross. It turned out he was just a human like the rest of us, able to experience pain and even able to die. Now, I I just couldn't stand by and let them do what they normally do. Jesus wasn't a criminal. He didn't deserve to be thrown into a rotting heap with other criminals. So I went to Pilate and asked for permission to take Jesus' body down myself. I'd be outing myself by doing this, but it had to be done. And I wasn't the only one. Nicodemus did the same thing. I just purchased a tomb and hadn't been used yet. So Nicodemus and I took Jesus down from the cross. I'll never forget that. Never. The nails in his wrists and his ankle. The wood stained with his blood as though it were a doorpost on that first Passover so long ago. And we put him in my tomb. Crazy thing, when we were on our way from Pilate's to the tomb, we saw a guy we knew had been dead walking into town. And then, and then another, and another. Somehow, when Jesus died, all these dead people came back to life and wandered into town. It was almost like something snapped in the cosmos, as though when Jesus died, death was somehow broken in the process. I remember Jesus saying that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and now there I was, holding his lifeless body in my arms. He said he came to give us life, but he was dead. Whatever we thought he was going to be, obviously, we were wrong. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to deliver us, but we thought wrong, because he died. He's dead. Jesus is dead.